Good morning, good afternoon, whichever it is for you. Glad you're here. How y'all doing? That was awesome, by the way. That was awesome. God, did you, I mean, I I, I heard that, but I'm just, (laughs) Paul thinks I'm calling him out. I heard, you did respond. You were one of the few that responded. It was not a test. I was going to say to you, are you just like blown away that this many people are standing up here today? I love it. It's amazing. Paul is an elder of our church, if you don't know, and uh, Tori is an elder of our church, and these guys have, uh, these families have given a lot over five years to have a dream and a vision that God would do uh, more than we could imagine, which is next week's text, so I won't get into that yet, but, <laughs> but uh, it's amazing to see 44 people uh, stand up here and say they want to partner and mission together and, and be on a mission together. I think there's like a thousand things you can do to build the church, and uh, Man, sometimes some of it is, is opening doors for people, and sometimes some of it is saying hello to people, and sometimes some of it is handing a bulletin to some people and singing to some people and running audio for some people and helping parking signs get out and sending emails out, and there's all of these things that you just don't realize are going into it, and uh, I'm, bl- I'm just blown away, and I'm encouraged. Uh, I really am. Uh, had three guys in the last gathering who were from Lithuania uh, walk in our doors you know, today because they, were, uh, they just arrived in America, Googled churches in Austin, and showed up at the well. So uh, yeah, that's exactly right. That's worth clapping for because God is good, and uh, you're a part of that, and uh, you, you play a part in that. So thank you for all of you covenant members, all of you who serve here and give your time, and thank you for those of you who are here and loving the people next to you in the seats. Uh, that's what it's about. So uh, hey, okay, we got to actually jump to text, otherwise we're running out of time. So uh, if you have a Bible, we're going to go to Ephesians uh, 3 today. We're going to continue in Ephesians 3. If you need a Bible, uh, go ahead and throw your hands up, uh, put them up, and then uh, our ushers will come by and hand you a Bible. We've got also another way you can uh, follow along with us today. We love the Version Bible app here. We love their functionality. You can click under the more section. There's an events area. It'll uh, get you kind of to the Well Austin by location, or you can just plug in that URL right there, which is also in your bulletin if you need that as well. So that's where we'll be. Um, I made y'all do this last week, and uh, uh, I don't want to say made you, but I asked you to do this last week. Would you stand with me as we read the Word of God this morning? Would you stand as we just have a reverence for God's words breathed on a page today? through the Apostle Paul, to the saints at Ephesus, and now to you, the saints at the Well Community Church. He says this in verse 1 of chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you, Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, And when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles, that's Paul and the other apostles, and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. They're members of the same body. They're partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all of the saints, this grace was given. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, the plan 
what is, uh, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose, as he is realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is for your glory. It's the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Y'all can take a seat. Uh, I love sports. I love watching uh, football. I love watching basketball. I'm just a big sports junkie. If I got any time, I try to watch. And uh, I love specifically uh, the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl is like my favorite thing every single year. I'm more of a college guy myself, but there's something about the Super Bowl. It's the idea of like everything that sort of surrounds the Super Bowl that I really love. I like the, the cooking and the food and all the, the, the bad things I shouldn't be eating probably. And, uh, and then of course, I love the halftime show. I mean, not maybe as much as I love like the actual Super Bowl, but uh, there's always uh, a halftime show, right? And it's always this amazing halftime show. And, and this year there were 104 million viewers that tuned in uh, to watch the Super Bowl. It's actually lower than normal. It's the most televised event that happens in the United States every single year. Uh, normally there's actually, I think their highest was 114 million viewers several years ago, but the Patriots took on uh, the Eagles and that was going on. And then there was a spike in attendance and viewership and it happened about halfway through. And you know why there was a spike in viewership from 104 million people, right? Justin Timberlake. Hello. That's right. See? That was a real reason right there that there was a spike in attendance was that all of the eyes of the female audience and all the people in the world uh, turned on because they wanted to see Justin Timberlake, JT. I wanted to see JT. I mean, he's kind of like the president of the white man swag club. So he's kind of got it going on. I'm like, if I want to try to be cool or look cool, I kind of looked at JT. What's he, what's he doing? I turned it on. I watched it. There's this spike in a viewership. And it's really this interesting part because it's kind of like this digression from like what's actually supposed to be happening, which is a football game supposed to be going on, but someone got the great idea that we're going to put on a show in the middle of a football game. And, and so there's this like digression. It's like there's this main thing happening. And then we're going to kind of like, hold on, we're going to put the football aside for a second and we're going to have a show with JT. And then we're going to pick back up to where we're going and we're going to finish this main thing. And that is what actually, and crazy as it sounds, is what Paul is doing today structurally in the text. In the text today, he has been hitting us with the main thing. It's the theology. It's all of the theology of where he says in chapter one, this is who you are. You're a saint. You're beloved. If you're in Christ, you're chosen. I love you. You're forgiven. You're holy. You're blameless. You're unashamed. You've been adopted into a family. And he hits you with all this identity. Then he prays over the people. He gives this prayer. And then he goes into maybe what I would arguably say is the most Amazing verse in all of scripture. He says you were dead in your sins and trespasses but God. And he hits you with some more theology. And then he sort of does this little digression here. We talked last week about he talks about this relationship with you and God, the vertical gospel, the relationship between you and God, that God, Jesus, made you right with him. But then we talked last week of the implications of that is that that makes us right with each other because of what Christ has done. And now he sort of digresses for a second. And he's going to pick up this progression again after these 13 verses. It's really interesting. These 13 verses are often not preached on. 
I, I was blown away this week when I was kind of looking to see, like, who has preached on this, who's talked about this. Uh, not a lot of guys that I listen to have really preached on this. It's kind of like this, this part that skips over. And even when Tori and I this week were kind of going through um, the scriptures together and we were kind of walking through this text, we realized it's kind of repetitive in a little bit. And maybe that's why people skip over it. It kind of feels like you're hitting some of the same points again. But then as we kind of, un, as I un, unpacked it and as we unpacked it together, we realized Paul is actually moving from this theological moment into a highly pastoral moment. There's a highly pastoral moment here. He realizes that he's going to say something to begin this text, that he needs to be a pastor to these people. I think that's what we forget sometimes, that these writings are not just black and white, but these writings were written to a people. They're written to people who had faces and names and hearts and lives and struggles and difficulties just like us. And he, he's writing to these people, and he digresses a little bit to be pastoral. He's, he's being, he has strong doctrine, but then he's highly compassionate here. And, I, and even, like when I, like even when I get up to preach, and Tori and I get up to preach, man, I'll tell you, it is our, our deepest heart that we don't feel like this is like a classroom. Like, that's not what we feel like we're doing here. We're not, I mean, yes, we're learning things. We're, we're praying that God has a, gives you a revelation, and he stirs your heart through the text. But we're actually... We feel like we're, 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 we're tending to our hearts here. We're tending to our head that we pray moves into our heart and that the heart changes and moves out into our hands. That's the hope and the prayer of why we preach the, the good news. And this is what Paul is doing here. And there is a lot in this text. And so uh, you could preach this in a hundred different ways. Um, I decided today to kind of break it up into three parts. And I want to break it up into these three parts. We're talking mainly about the overarching theme of suffering today the significance of the sting of suffering. And Paul's going to begin and end this talking about his suffering. But he breaks it up in three ways, and the three ways will be on the screen. He talks about the brokenness of life, that is your suffering. He talks about the breathtaking nature of God's love, that is his wonderful, wondrous, radical grace. And he talks about the brilliance of his work in all of you, the church. Hello, good morning, brilliant church. Y'all doing all right? Y'all look brilliant today. That's what God has done is this right here. And it's amazing. So let's jump in real quick. Verse 1. Here we go. We're going to dive right in. By the way, at the end of it, he's going to take these three things. And he's going to give, and I think that from this text, we can derive and pull three very practical things for our life. That out of those practical things, if we understand and comprehend the brokenness of life, if, we, if God allows us to understand more of his breathtaking nature of his love and the brilliance of his work, I believe that God will give you three things that will help you and lead you into more freedom in the life that you live right now. I believe that's the intention of what Paul's doing here. So here we go. Verse 1, he says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. For this reason is where he begins. And he begins there, and I believe that what's happening here is he's starting to say, because of all that we just talked about in chapter 1 and chapter 2, because of all of this, for this reason, he says, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and then he, you see the little dash that's there? You see the little dash that's on the screen? You see, that's intentional in your text. I believe that's where this digression starts. I think what he's doing is what he's been doing structurally. If you look at this book, he gives the theology, he prays. He gives the theology, he prays over them. I believe he was going to pray for them in this moment. Commentators believe he was going to be praying over them after he's just delivered this kind of bombshell of truth to them. And he says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner. And then I believe he realizes, wait, I just said I'm a prisoner. I'm telling you I'm a prisoner. That's ironic. 
because he's going to pick this up in verse 14. If you look in your text right now, he picked this prayer up that he was going to pray for this reason. He starts it off again in 14 for this reason. And it's ironic because Paul, two reasons, he's calling himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I'm saying I'm a prisoner in Rome. He says I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus, the Messiah, the King. I'm a prisoner of the King Jesus. And then the other ironic part about that is what does he call himself earlier in the text? What is he, how does he introduce himself to these people at Ephesus? I, Paul, a, before that, apostle. He starts this whole thing in the very beginning. I, Paul, an apostle. Now he's saying, I, Paul, a prisoner. And there's these two things here, these two titles here. And I can imagine Paul sees that and perhaps he realizes this needs a little clarification. I'm locked up in a prison cell. We realize for the very first time in this text that Paul is in a prison cell. That he's writing this from chains in Rome And perhaps he felt this needed as he said, I'm writing this on behalf of you for your sake, the Gentiles here. Now, this requires a tiny bit of backstory because for me, when I read this, I go, well, why is he in prison? How did he get in prison? I'm glad you asked. It's in my notes. We're going to talk about it. Flip to Acts 21 here. Acts 21. It's going to be up on the screen too. Hold your spot in Ephesians. Go to Acts 21. And this is what's the backstory here. Paul has been moving from city to city. He's a tent maker. He goes into the city. His job is he uses leather. He makes leather goods and he creates tents. And he uses that so that he can make some money, but then also declare the gospel. And he meets Jewish people and he meets non-Jewish people and he shares this good news with them. And he starts to develop these communities from it. And then once those communities are developed, he moves on to the next place. Well, Paul has been traveling quite a bit to all of these churches, these communities that he's built up. And he wants to go back to Jerusalem where he first began, where he first, where the Jesus movement first began. And there, the key leader of that church is James, Jesus' half-brother. And there at the church, Paul greets him. And this is what we see in Acts 21, verse 17. Read this with me. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. And on the following day, Paul, Luke is writing this, by the way. Luke, Paul's traveling companion, is writing this. On the following day, verse 18, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. And after greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said, see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you teach the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses. You're telling them not to circumcise their children or to walk to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore whatever we tell you. So Paul, here's the story. Paul shows up. He shows up to this area, this place in Jerusalem that has a lot of Jews. And, and, and he's telling them, like, you guys got to hear what God is doing to these people who are non-Jews. They're coming to faith. They're placing their faith in Christ. They are coming to faith right now. And the gospel is being spread. And he says, that's amazing. I love that it says they counted the ways. They glorified God. And they said, and in, in return, James turns to him and says, well, let me tell you what's happening to the Jews. A lot of them, those who are Jewish of faith, are placing their faith in Christ. And they're celebrating. But he said, the problem is, is that they believe that you're telling their people, the Jews, to stop being Jewish, to stop their cultural ways. Now, if you weren't here last week, we talked a little bit about this. You can go back to the podcast. You can listen and unpack this more. But in short, there are 613 laws that God gave the Jewish people to set them apart and say, these are my distinct people. He gave them these laws to mark them culturally, 
to say, these are my people. So they observe the Sabbath. They don't eat meat. Uh, they circumcise their children. He gave them these things so that they would be set apart, that people would know these are my people. Their intention as God's people were to bless everybody because they were God's people. Instead, they took their culture, hoarded it, said, it's mine, this is who I am, and they begin to create their own culture of pride over who they were and keeping all the insiders in and the outsiders out. And Paul has begun to say, look, God is bringing, last week's message, one family together, all of these unique differences, all these different races, all these different backgrounds. He's abolishing the law. He's fulfilled it in Christ. You don't have to hold on to that anymore. If you want to keep it because it's your race, you can, but you don't have to. And he's making one new person. And when Paul is preaching this message, the Jews in Jerusalem are hearing and they're saying, he's telling us to stop being who we are, to stop our cultural ways. And so Paul, in graciousness, says to him, fine, I will do whatever you want me to do this week. I'll, they say, hey, dude, if you're going to be here this week, act Jewish. <laughs> act Jewish with us this week, all right? And he's like, fine, I'll do it. You can keep reading. He's like, fine, I will do it. And I love that. That's a message for another day. It's a message for another day. But amazing that Paul's preaching is what he's going to actually live, a, a, a gospel of love that he says, I will lay down even what I know is right for the sake of somebody else that they won't stumble you know, you ever think about that as Christians? Again, I don't want to get into this for a long period of time, but we love to stand on our mountains of going, this is what God said to do. Paul says, no, you know what? I know it's right. I know I don't have to abide by these cultural ways anymore, but I will set that aside this week and out of love, I will live this way. And then this is what happens. He picks up here in verse 27. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on Paul, crying out, men of Israel, help. This man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law of this place. Moreover, he brought Greeks into this temple. He's defiled this holy place for they had previously seen Trophimus, the what? The what? The Ephesian was with him in the city and they supposed that Paul had brought him up into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up. The people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple. And at once the gates were shut. So Paul shows up to the temple. This is the tension that's going on here. He says, I'm going to act Jewish. But he brings somebody into the temple who's not Jewish. And, he, and it causes a little bit of a stir again. And they rise up and say, this is the guy who's trying to eradicate who we are in our cultural ways. He's trying, to get, he's trying to demolish it. And they grab Paul and a riot begins in the city. And the riot gets so bad, the Roman command of the area seizes Paul, if you keep reading, and throws him in jail. And that's where we are in Ephesians 3. That Paul, because he was in the temple and preaching these things, has begun to be thrown in jail. And he's now suffering in jail. So let's pick it back up in verse 2. Let's pick this back up here. This is what it says. And, and really, just real quick, let me just, let me digress for a second. Amazing that Paul is in prison. And I want you to know something about Paul's suffering and what you're gonna see here. The Bible never shies away from the reality that all of us will suffer. Let me say that again, because that is not a fun thing as a pastor to stand up and tell 400 people on a Sunday. The Bible does not shy away that you and I are going to go through hard, hard times. We like to weigh our suffering out. We like to compare it to somebody else's. 
No, we will suffer. And some of you have suffered. Some of you are suffering right now. And Paul says, I'm a prisoner. And he feels like he needs to tell them so that they aren't going to be discouraged. How do I know that? Go to the last verse, 13. He says, so I ask you, don't lose heart for what I'm suffering for you. He tells them, don't be disheartened. Don't be discouraged. That lose heart there means don't let your heart be taken out of you. Don't let your heart be taken out of you for what's going on. And he puts this idea of I'm in prison, I'm suffering, don't be discouraged. And he tells you the why right in between. And he tells them the why right in between. This is the brokenness of life. This is the suffering. Is The Bible does not shy away from it. And, and man, I'm telling you today, we have a, I, I should speak about myself, not y'all. I have a hard time with theology of suffering. Because, man, one, it's hard to stand up here and talk to people and say, let me tell you why you're suffering. I can't fully do that. I'm not God. I had a seminary professor tell us, and it was like the one thing he wanted us to remember from class was that don't ever stand in front of people and tell them this is exactly why you're suffering. You don't know that. That's dangerous. But God does give us hope. And he shows us ways that people have suffered and what comes from that suffering. And that's what Paul wants them to see. This week, this week in the U.S., man, I'm telling you, it is so vital that we get this idea of suffering and that we start to lean in and not lean away from it even more, whether you're on a rocky place or on solid ground right now, because we need as the believers of God to know a right understanding and a right theology, and a right thought of what suffering is and what God is doing and what could be doing and what he's doing in you. Why? This week, for an example, two national headlines, two celebrities took their life this week. Man, that's heavy stuff to talk about. And then we found out this week, as all of this is happening, that we are at the highest rate of suicide in the history of the United States of America. That it is now the number 10 way People die in our country. It's hard. And I know in a room like this, the reality is, is that there are people in here, a lot probably, that have wrestled with those thoughts. And so for us to understand why we suffer, why we struggle, that the Christian is not immune from it, is so important, not just for you who are struggling right now. Yes, today, I want you to hear it. But to those of you who aren't struggling, I want you to know that God wants us to walk in those spaces with people and begin. We don't always need a theology lesson in suffering. Sometimes we just need the presence of somebody. In fact, I would say most of the time. I know that I've been walking through some stuff with some people the last few weeks, and just the presence alone is often enough, and there will be a time where God allows you to speak into what could he be doing, what could be happening from this, and this is what Paul is trying to encourage. Uh, I had a good friend of mine, um, a guy who discipled me in college, who brought me to faith, the reason I'm standing here today, I've talked about him before here, he comes here every once in a while, but um, the past few weeks, uh, he lost his son. In a pretty horrific car accident. Uh, the car rolled five times, and he battled for his life for about seven days. And this family is, uh, if you've been to the University of Texas or involved in Young Life or um, in South Austin at all, he's been, they're, they're very involved in the community. And so this flood of love came in, and this flood of people came in, and thousands, upon, hundreds upon thousands of people showed up to care for these people. And, man, I am telling you, I watched the community of faith rally in a moment of hardship, and I saw the church. 
in a way that really re-inspired me. And to get this text today, to be excited, to be able to stand before you and say that God works in the midst of suffering, and I know that for a fact. You know, when someone's suffering and someone you know they're suffering, think of your friends, and they tell you, I want to tell you what I think God's doing. You perk up, right? <laughs> like, okay, wow, he's been suffering, she's been suffering. You just said, I want to tell you what God's, I think God's doing. You're listening, right? That's what Paul's doing. I can imagine the Ephesians, their ears perk up. They go, I'm going to listen to what you're about to tell me. And this is the thing. In the Rogers family, the family that I've been walking with, they stood up at the funeral, and nobody expected them to stand up at this funeral and speak. And the mom stood right there. And she said, look, I have questioned, I've asked why, I don't understand what's going on, but I know that God did not cause that car to flip. He did not say, I'm going to make that car flip. I know, though, more so, he's in the redemption of that car flipping. He is redeeming things right now with that car flipping. And nobody can stand here today and tell us that God's not working. And she goes on to list all the ways that God has been working. And it is astounding when that happens. Why? Because we are a people who are dying to hear messages of hope. We want, we hear enough suffering. And when someone who's suffering speaks into it and says, let me tell you what God is doing, we go, yes, amen, give me more of that. And that is the entrance of what Paul is doing. That's the brokenness of life that we all will suffer, but God is doing something in it. And Paul begins to talk about the breathtaking nature of God's love of what he's doing in it. And this is what he says, verse two. He goes on into this long run-on sentence. Literally, verse two through 13 is one sentence in the Greek. It's this massively long run-on sentence. But he says this, assuming that you've heard the stewardship of grace that was given to me for you, and how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery. It's the second time he said mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men or other generations as it has been made known to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus in the gospel. He uses this word mystery, and I think we need to unpack this one word real quick. Uh, have you ever been to a movie with somebody and you're sitting in the movie and it's like a thriller and it's like a suspense and it's like a twisty turny movie and the person next to you is like, oh dude, I bet this is what's gonna happen. She's gonna walk over here and she's gonna do this right now. And you're like, shut up. And they're like, no, 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 dude, I don't know. It's supposed to get, oh my gosh, she's behind the door. I know she's behind the door. You've been with that person? You've been with that person? I'm like, get five seats over and away from me because I'm trying to watch the movie. I don't need you to direct it right now. I'm watching it. Tom Cruise is on the screen. Be quiet. You know what I'm saying? It, that's this idea that we have a mystery, that we've got to like figure it out as we go on. We've got to unpack this, this, this hidden thing. But the word in Scripture, mysterion here, is actually something that only God can unpack. That God has interjected mysteries in our life and only he can unpack and reveal what this mystery is. It's something that was hidden but is now revealed. It was something that we would never have thought of ourselves. It is counterintuitive. It's counterinstinctual to us. And you know what he says it is? Verse 6. He says this mystery is this that the Gentiles are the fellow heirs, that the members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. He says the mystery is God's breathtaking nature of grace, salvation by grace through faith for everyone. Anyone today that wants in to the kingdom of heaven is welcome. Amen. 
Thank you. That is awesome. Because that fires me up. <laughs> Anyone that wants into heaven today, heaven is open. And Paul says this was the mystery that people long ago did not know and we never knew. And God revealed it to me. And he tells them this. And he says this. And he's this, there's this wonder. There's this reveling that he has. He revels in this. I love it. Tim Keller says this. The quote will be on the screen. He says, if you feel that you fully understand the gospel, you don't understand the gospel. <laughs> okay, thanks, Tim. If you say, I can hardly even begin to grasp the depths of the gospel, that means you've probably started to grasp the depths of the gospel. You see, it's the wonder of grace Paul is talking about here. It is the gospel that to you. That is a question that I have for you this morning. Are you just marveling like Paul does when he goes to verse 7 here and he says, I was a minister, I'm a minister by God of this gospel of grace, this breathtaking nature of God's beauty. I'm a minister, the one, me, the one who killed other believers, the one who led a movement to try to silence the church. I'm a minister, and he goes on to say, I'm the least of them. To me, verse eight, though I am the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. That word unsearchable, Paul loves to add adjectives that he doesn't need. <laughs> but he puts it there. He needs it. It's intentional. God didn't make a mistake. That word unsearchable literally means the depths of which you cannot even measure. It's like if you were to go to measure a lake and you found out it really was just an arm of, of a body of water and that arm of that body of water actually reached to an ocean and the ocean kept going and going and there was no depth to it. It's like that David Crowder song that says, it's like an ocean. Uh, his grace is like an ocean. It is so deep. It is so immeasurable. And Paul is marveling at this. He says, I'm the least of these. Literally those words, the least, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting because it's like he's saying I'm the, the leaster. <laughs> I'm the leaster of the leastest. You're like, what? He's like, I'm the least of the least of the leasters. He's like trying to make a point in hyperbole that I am, was the worst. Some, some commentators actually believe that he's playing on his name here. So his name in Latin, Paulus, means little. Some people believe that he was actually a small man of stature. And so what they actually believe here is maybe he's actually playing on his name by saying, I am little, I am little by name, little in stature, little morally, little spiritually, little of the littlest of all Christians, I am he, I am that guy. He's trying to get a point to you. I don't deserve this, I shouldn't have gotten this, and now I'm the guy who's stewarding this message, this mystery, this revelation to you. We stand here today because of this man's conviction that sat in a prison to preach this to you, and he came from the worst place. And God is able to do that with anyone. And he marvels at this. So do you marvel at it? When was the last time you stood in awe? Or is it just head knowledge? Is it just theology? Or have you allowed God to begin to move that, have asked him to move that to your heart? and then to your hands. This is the marvel of which Paul is in as he's going through this. And there is, don't miss this, there is a confident humility in this man. This is who he calls us to be because by the way, in 1 Peter 4.10, it says, as each has received a gift, 
Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's grace. You now are a steward of God's grace. You now are a carrier of the name of Jesus. You now are the one that takes the great gift and the mystery that's been revealed to you and carry it on. And Paul is marveling at this. He is blown away by this. And he has a confident humility, a humility to say, I'm the least, and yet I'm an apostle called. I am the worst at one time, was the worst, and yet God gave me a revelation. I was far from him, and now I'm leading the charge. I, I, I said this in the first gathering, and I just think it's so true. We are, as believers, quick to, which rightfully so. We need, I need Paul, I need people to call me out and help check my pride at times because I can be a prideful man. And we all need that. But we are quick to call people out on not being humble. But are we as quick to call people out when they're fearful and timid and trepidatious and uncertain and afraid to step forward? Sister in Christ today, God has given you a confidence of himself in you. Brother in Christ today, God has put a spirit inside of you and he says, go forth in power, be the most humble people in the world and be the most confident people in the world. That's who we are, Christians. That's who we are, brothers and sisters. We get to stand on what has been done and be humbly confident today. And he says this, how are we gonna carry this? How are we gonna spread it? And he's gonna wrap it up with this. He'll wrap it up, he'll say in verse 10, so that through the church, all y'all, all y'all, that's what we say in Texas, all y'all, through all y'all, the church, the manifold wisdom, that's not in the text, please don't email me, that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to who? The rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Holy wow. This just got to a whole nother level. The third part of this is the brilliance of God's work. And the brilliance of God's work is that Paul takes the grace that has been stewarded to you, and he says this today. He says that the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms, those are the words that Paul uses in scripture for the angels and the demons. It is that through the church, the manifold, the various, the, the brilliant spread wisdom of God might be made known to the angels and the demons. You, <laughs> you, the well, are the people who are making known to the angels how good God's grace is. Today, heaven stares down at you today, and he sees the grace of what God is working in your life, and they are slack-jawed. They are in awe today. They are standing going, I don't even understand that. That hasn't been revealed to me. It's been revealed to them, and they're staring at our lives, and they are seeing what God is doing and working, that he can take the least and make them the greatest, that he can take you and move you to where you are. And Paul is saying, I'm in prison because I preach this to people, and because I preach this to people, I receive this grace, and it's now been given to the church, and the church is now making it known to the angels and the demons and the higher and the lower places. And they are looking at us in awe today. They are standing at us in awe. You still don't believe me, maybe. Let me show you this. It's actually in another part in the text. In 1 Peter 1.12, it says this. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced through those who preach the good news by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things, look at this, things into which angels 
long to look. The gospel is something that angels are marveled by today. Heaven is praising God as they look at your life and see what God is doing in you and how he's growing you and how he's, what his grace has done in your life. And this is what marvels Paul. And he says this in verse 11 was the eternal purpose that was realized, that was accomplished already. It's been done in Christ Jesus. Verse 12, in him, Jesus, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith. That was last week's message. And then he closes it out. And he says this, verse 13, so... All those verses, 1 through 12, all those things that have happened. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is for your glory. Paul wanted to tell them, don't get discouraged. Do you see all that God has been doing? That's why I'm in prison. That's why I'm suffering that's why I sit in these chains and I write to you today because God has been at work and I trust what God is doing in my suffering. He says, don't lose heart. Don't let your heart be taken right out of you. Isn't that what suffering does? It feels like it just rips your heart out. It just feels like it rips your heart out. And then it makes you sometimes ask the question, did God make a mistake? Did he make a mistake in this moment? I think that's a totally normal question to ask. And I think you need to not be afraid to ask that question. I think you need to wonder if I should be sitting there and staying there or if you should move forward in that. In other words, what I'm saying, it's okay to doubt. John the Baptist, last days of his life, on death row, in prison, after preaching for 30 years, the coming of Jesus Christ, stands with his head about to be cut off, sends message to Jesus and says, are you really the Messiah? Like, I'm wondering, I'm sitting here in this prison cell, are you really him? Jesus sends back word and tells him, yeah, I am. Yeah, let me tell you exactly who I am. And he tells him, he listens, the blind see, the lame walk. But one thing he leaves out, he leaves out the part of the, the dead will rise. He tells him, I am the one fulfilling it all. But he, doesn't, he leaves that out for John to tell him, yeah, you're going to suffer, brother. You're going to suffer for my sake. You're going to go through this hardship for my sake. Job, Job questions what God is doing, I think all of us would probably question what God was doing if what happened to Job happened to us. Man, nobody suffered like Job. And at the end, God unloads three chapters declaring who he is. I have poured out the sands on the beaches. I have filled the lakes and the water. And he shows him his magnificence. You ever want to feel small? You ever want to feel just small for a second in a good way? Go read the last three chapters of Job. It'll put you in the right spot going, okay, maybe I don't have all the answers right now. And God declares his goodness of who he is. And so this is what Paul does. He says, don't, don't, don't lose heart in, in my suffering. Paul wanted to be clear. My imprisonment came from the mystery that was revealed to me for all the people so that they would receive God's grace so that the church would be formed, that angels and demons would, be, uh, would understand what's going on and be told what's happening and see how good God is. And this has been the plan all along. It's been accomplished in Jesus. And now you have boldness and access to God because of this plan. And so I'm telling you, don't be discouraged today. God is at work in this suffering. Amen. Amen. I realize today that in a room like this, I have no idea of what you are dealing with. And I'm telling you, it is difficult to stand up here and talk to a people that you love and you want to see grow and know God. It is difficult. 
to act like I know everything that God would be doing. I don't. But I do know that three things can come from, from this suffering, and Paul makes it real clear. One is I do know that your suffering is not in vain. I do know whatever you're going through right now is not for nothing. It is not meaningless. It is totally meaningful. That God is doing something that even if you can't see it, he's working because the invisible realms can see it. Uh, Johnny Erickson Tata, if you don't know who she is, is an amazing story. Go read her books. This woman of God will blow your mind. She was in 1967 diving when she uh, had an accident and she became a quadriplegic and she lost movement in her arms and hands and her legs. And she went through a two-year rehabilitation process and came out paralyzed, but came out with this newfound faith and this vigor. And in this newfound faith, she said that it came because of so many things that happened, but one in particular was this girl named Denise that was in the room next to her when she was uh, going through this rehabilitation. And Denise was in there because she had a rapid form of multiple sclerosis. And she was going to die pretty quickly. And she had not many people that were coming to see her. She did not have a lot of family and friends that were coming, just her mom every day. And it broke Johnny's heart. And she said that she would watch her mom come in and read the word to her and pray with her. And never once did Denise complain. Never once did Denise complain. And she said, God, I don't understand what you're doing. I understand that suffering can do something to us. It can grow us. And it can change other people if they see that suffering. It can be a megaphone of hope. But nobody's seen Denise. What are you doing? And she said that her life changed when she opened up Ephesians and she read that the manifold wisdom of God was being made known to the rulers and the authorities and the heavenly places. She said, I realized then and there, I am on camera. Denise's life is on camera every day to billions of beings. And if not visible in the physical world, there are rulers and authorities that are seeing right now what he is doing in their life. And she wrote, she wrote Denise's mom after she passed a note, and it said this, I am certain that the angels and demons stood amazed as they watched the uncomplaining patience of your daughter. What confidence to have in a God. And Johnny would go on to say, Sometimes God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. God allows hard things like a car flipping five times to accomplish greater things. And that is a really hard thing to say because you're saying that must be at the sacrifice of something or someone. Yeah. Isn't that the cross? Isn't that the story of Jesus who God had to give his son for your sake, to be sacrificed. This is the picture of what Paul wants to see. Number two, your suffering can't ultimately win. If that is your disposition, if your heart is, if your treasure of your heart, Jesus says, where your heart is, there your treasure, where your treasure is, there your heart is. If Jesus is that treasure, if God is that treasure for you, if he sits on the throne of your heart, then when suffering comes, you can stand like Paul and God can give you a supernatural ability to say, yes, I'm a prisoner of Christ, but don't lose heart because he's doing something. 
Second Corinthians says, five times I received 40 lashes. I've been endangered from rivers, bandits. Paul goes on to say, I have suffered, but he says, if I boast, I'll boast in my weakness. This kind of attitude is a wholly given disposition from God. He hands that to us for those of us who make Jesus king and primary. And today, I'm telling you, if you're not even in tragedy today, if you haven't been devastated by suffering yet, I'm begging you, today's the time to make the plan that God longs to be the sinner And the very last thing I'll say is that your suffering can actually be for your good. Also difficult to tell. That what you're going through can be for your good. How is that possible? It's possible because a God came and lived a perfect life. His name was Jesus. And by the end of that life, he was shut out so that you would have access. He was nailed so that you would be free. He was cast away so that you could be brought in and now suffering that comes from into your life can move you from being a lump of coal to being a diamond. God, through pressure and suffering, can make great and beautiful things. He makes beautiful things. I'll leave you with this thought today. It's from Joni, Johnny Erickson. She says, every sorrow we taste will one day prove to be the best possible thing that could have happened to us. We will thank God endlessly in heaven for the trials that he sent us here. I pray to God that we all have that confidence in our God who is sovereign in control and working your life and your struggles for great things, visible or invisible. Y'all pray with me.